This is the Inside Track podcast by the BVRLA. Join us as we speak to high-profile guests from across rental, leasing and fleet as they discuss their careers, react to the latest news and look at what may be coming in the future. Hi everyone and welcome to the Inside Track podcast from the BVRLA. Um, I'm Adam from the communications team and I'm joined today by Caroline Sandal-Manser, Manager Consultancy and Channels at Alphabet GB. Um, Caroline's a stalwart of the fleet industry. Um, she built up extensive experience as a fleet manager before moving into a range of leasing and consultancy roles. Um, and working as a fleet manager, Caroline picked up a handful of awards, previously chair of the organisation that now operates as the Association of Fleet Professionals. Um, having joined Alphabet last year, Caroline's role is more specialising in sustainability and mobility solutions in that space. Um, welcome, how are you? Hello, Adam. I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. A pleasure as always and uh, I was I have to admit I was a bit nervous about using the word stalwart but I think it it's probably the most the most apt one for uh, for the level of experience and the expertise you've got in the sector. Thank you for not referring to my <laughs> age yeah <laughs> count the number of years I've been in the industry and it's quite scary to think um, how long I've been active but all very enjoyable and lots lots of learning there so hopefully I'll be able to convey some of that today. Oh, I'm sure you will and I guess with, within that you'd have seen you know plenty of changes and evolutions across you know the fleet sector the wider industry um, with your current role in sustainable mobility solutions I guess that you know that's bringing a whole new change and a whole a whole raft of challenges that perhaps weren't seen before. I think it's very interesting times that we're in at the moment and if you think particularly around our EV driving population um, we're almost past that true early adopter community so those that can easily charge at home um, can afford the sorts of EVs that um, have recently been more commonplace so we're now moving to the sorts of people who perhaps can't charge at home or have limited cheap charging um, capability, might be doing a lot more business mileage across different parts of the country. Um, so we're seeing that real shift in in demographic, um, which means that we need to shift our approach and, and recognise that. Um, so we're seeing a lot of negative press. We're seeing a lot of naysayers and people that are detracting for whatever reason. Um, So we do need to be far more considerate now, I think, of the changing population that we've got when we're we're moving to a more sustainable situation. Now, um, at the moment, that's obviously mostly EVs, um, but other alternative fuels will come um, in years to come, you know, not not right here, right now. Um, but it's it's certainly a challenge. Um, I think the charging is a particular challenge at the moment. Um, again, if you look at the stats, that overwhelmingly people charging at home, but we have to remember that that's for a very distinct population, and it is that more you know early and and post early adopter population where they can charge at home, um, and that's not going to be the case. So, whenever we're looking at strategies. Um, we really need to be thinking about that incredibly diverse driving population that every fleet has. Um, and charging is probably a much greater concern than things like range anxiety or any other of the 
unfamiliar aspects of of having an EV as as your main um, day to day car. And if we look at the statistics for charge points, you can feel really encouraged because you know the leaps forward that we're taking every quarter of you know hundreds or thousands more charge points going live, and that's all fantastic and needed. But we need more charge points. We need more charge points of the right sort in the right locations. We need those charge points to be working more frequently. Um, you know, that whole uptime is a real challenge, as well as emerging poor behaviour at charge points of people, you know, people having to queue, people leaving their cars plugged in when they're going to be fully charged. You know, all of these things are things that we, pardon the pun, we can't take off off the pedal. There is still mm. a lot to do, um, and we are on a on a great trajectory, and it is really encouraging. But there are still some really fundamental challenges um, around that whole EV space that we need to be um, frank and honest with ourselves. That we still need to have a very detailed strategic approach with our drivers um, and how we approach bringing them forwards and, and transitioning them across to EVs. Yeah, and I think what you touched upon, well, a lot, a lot of what you touched upon, I was sparking, but one one just there in that terms of as we get more drivers, you know, the behaviour around public charge points and, you know, plugging in and letting other people come in and taking those parking spaces and things. I think when we've been in that early adopter phase you mentioned, it's very much been, you know, EV advocates, people who buy into it, they bind that whole community as well as it just being their vehicle and their emissions so I guess as you're tipping that balance to more you know people have made the move for other motivations they're not necessarily you know all pulling in the same direction or sharing that ethos I suppose is more accurate so where it's more you know historically people have been trying to help each other out and you know it's it's all been a friendly community it's almost a bit more competitive now of who gets the charge point who plugs in are they, you know, taking it for too long? Are they not? Um, and I guess it's that wider education piece, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think you still get that real um, community feeling. So, you know, there still are a lot of people that you will encounter at a charge point where it might even be their first time of charging. And, you know, th- those of us that have had EVs in the past, you you start to spot them and recognise them. But but most people will step in and, and help them out. Um, and I think there is still a lot of that. But if you think about that whole EV transition, it, it is still quite early when you think about our degree of familiarity with things that that change in our lives. Um, and if you think about you know, how long smartphones have been around for and the fact that there are still quite a lot of people, my mother included, who don't have a smartphone and you kind of think, how on earth do you lead your life without having one? Well, you know, if you feel that you don't need it, that you don't want it, and then you don't have it. And I think with EVs, it's it's perhaps getting past that fear factor now. But you think that knowledge of EVs, we haven't gotten into the familiarity zone where a lot of facts about EVs are simply known. And then you do have this negative press where you know, people are saying that you know if they catch on fire, you can't put them out, or they're so incredibly heavy that car parks are going to crash. Um, you can't charge them in the rain. You know, there is still a lot of that stuff. And because people aren't familiar with it, they don't already have those ideas in their mind of, well, I, kn- I know that 
that's just not true because, because, because. So I think there's a real ongoing responsibility for us in the industry to keep holding our driver's hands. But it's not just the people that are going into EVs today. It's the people that will be going into EVs in future. It's converting our drivers into advocates because that attitude then does spread around their friends, their family. Um, and, you know, some of us can get a bit evangelical about EVs, but for the most part, people, if they're in the right EV for them, um, then they become quite evangelical themselves because the experience of having an EV in terms of driving pleasure, you know, it's it's less stressful to drive. And yes, there are occasions where charging is a challenge. Um, I think everybody would freely admit that. But but overall, EVs are just lovely to drive. Um, and I think we need to do more. Um, and we already are doing an awful lot across the industry, but we do need more to help that transition. And and yes, that's some of the formal things around regulation, legislation, incentives, um, and all of the good stuff that we are doing, um, you know, within the Beaver LA and so on. Um, there's still that Hearts and Minds campaign that um, is very much there and will be there for some time to come until everybody is a lot more accepting of of where we're going to transition to. Mm, definitely. And I think part of that is just, you know, it's the passing of time, you know, as more vehicles filter through to the market as they are doing at pace, you know, people are adopting them particularly through fleet and our members are, you know, leading the charge in that. It's, you know, the more vehicles that come through to the used market and people just get used to seeing them on on the roads, then it becomes a lot more acceptable. You're not thinking, you know, people don't want to be first necessarily, which they aren't anymore, but they sort of, there's that tipping point. And in some pockets, I think we're very much there. And then others, you know, as someone close to me the other day was just saying, oh, but you know, there's, there's hardly any choice, whatever. And I sort of had to correct them and say, well, a few years ago, maybe, but now, you know, everyone's got a whole suite of EVs really that, you know, there's something for a lot of different sizes and there should be one that fits. I guess within Within that adoption curve, obviously, you mentioned about, you know, the charging pressures, not everyone can charge at home. Do you find that that's sort of a more prevalent discussion that you're having at the moment? So it's it's drivers or companies that perhaps want to make the switch and then it's just finding a way to make it work or finding barriers. Or are we at the point already where it's people who they just need convincing that an EV works and the concept is is workable because they're sort of very much you know, ICE advocates and it's talking them around sort of do we fall either side of those at the moment? Well, I think we are still in a situation where there needs to be some consideration for the diverse nature of the, of your fleet. And you think going back, you know, 10, 15 years, you could have a far more averaged aggregated approach because people didn't have things like charging challenges. So, you know, you could have a list and and most people would be able to pick from that list. And I think now it's really shining that spotlight just on how diverse our fleets are and that you actually do have lots of individual pockets and populations within your fleet and they are actually quite different. Um, but we've never really noticed it or really needed to notice it before. Whereas now you need to make sure that as they're transitioning to EV, that they have the right sort of EV. So you start to take in 
more factors. So you start to think about battery size in the context of range, speed of charging. Now, obviously, as things develop and with all of the research and development going on, it is going to become easier and easier. You know, eventually we will get to solid state batteries. Eventually we will get a lot more range for a lighter battery that can charge a lot quicker um, and the charge point infrastructure will support it. But we aren't there yet. So mm-hmm. you do still need to be looking at, you know, all of those use cases. And yes, for most perk sorts of populations and indeed a lot of needs car populations you can transition now but if you can't charge at home and that's not likely to change in the next couple of years then you really do need to think about the impact on that driver so that's not just about um, inconvenience of having to go somewhere to charge that's not just finding a solution of well they can charge at work so that's okay you know you do really need to think about what that driver is doing and start to build up those pockets of populations and and finding solutions and being considerate of those drivers challenges so you know we mustn't forget the human factor here that people don't want to be having to spend time searching around and you know finding that sweet spot of their own personal charging infrastructure of you know where in and around where they live um and whilst that's becoming easier that you can charge at the gym or if you're going shopping and etc etc you still need to be thinking about all these factors because you don't want to create a situation where driver productivity is severely impacted but also cost and you know we can't talk today without talking about cost and the cost of charging the number of rates that you have you know that's not just the driver experience but it's how those drivers can make sure that they are charging effectively um, and that they're going to be reimbursed effectively as well um, and talking to fleets that is as big a challenge as actually finding the right vehicle for them um, because Lots of fleets, you know, moved away from fully expensed or fuel card um, situations. You know, they moved over to um, expenses-based reimbursement mm. using the revenues um, advisory fuel rates. The advisory electric rate has been a challenge. Let's face it, in the past eighteen months. Um, so, you know, that cost factor of making sure that when you are transitioning your population that you're not forcing them into a situation where effectively they could be losing money because right here, right now, cost of living crisis is very, very real. Um, And any change that we make, if you look at that impact on drivers, and if you think back over the years, any change you might have had some degree of tolerance for a potentially small increase to drivers and, you know, maybe five, £10 a month. Historically, it's been seen as perhaps not quite a big deal where well, I don't think we're in that situation today. I think we have to be a lot more considerate of the financial impact of any of the changes that we make on our drivers, because for some of our driving population, £10 a month is a, is a spare £10 they simply don't have. Yeah. And that's not likely to change for, you know, some months or or maybe even moving to next year. So that driver factor, I think, is so much more important. And the impact on our on our people as humans um, is something that we really, really need to have very high up on the list these days. 
yeah absolutely and obviously AER that you you referenced there has <laughs> definitely been been a challenge you know I think you know my colleagues in in policy have been working in collaboration with a lot of different parts of the industry other bodies to try and get that addressed a more frequently and b just to a fair level which we saw an increase the November before last that was seen to be quite a positive step but obviously in the, the months and the year that followed that just became out of date immediately because of what's gone on with the energy prices um, and again we've managed to secure that to be reviewed more regularly and sort of put up but there's still a gap because of how sort of turbulent the market is and as you say it's it's moving in the right direction but there's still that discrepancy and if that's being pushed to drivers as you say it's just it's not going to be a, a long-term solution that people are happy to accept and then do they then make different vehicle decisions or come out of a company car scheme at all if they have that choice and sort of then do you lose them and lose that momentum of keeping the cleanest greenest vehicles coming through um, I guess beyond costs and obviously you mentioned the driver experience in terms of EVs being generally more comfortable their performance is good and they're good to drive are there any other factors that come in sort of from a driver perspective in those those conversations or that kind of push versus pull of the the operator and their drivers and the factors that really come into play I think we still can't underestimate the scale of change that somebody goes through with EVs and you know, those early adopters perhaps did need to make a compromise because of the physical size of the vehicle, particularly um, luggage space. You know, so simple things like if you have small people in your lives, then some of those early EVs trying to get a, a pushchair or something similar into the boot was was quite a challenge. Um, I think obviously things are different now. We do have, you know, there are a lot of SUV shaped vehicles in, in the market. Um, that do have appropriate levels of, of space. But if you think you have lots of families that might travel quite a lot, um, if they've got family that live far away and they're used to travelling long distance to see them three or four times a year, then those drivers need that support to help them to understand that all those things are still achievable. Um, and if you think about what we know about EVs, most of it is about education and most of the change that an individual goes through is planning. So you can absolutely manage an EV and you can go wherever you like as long as you plan appropriately and you map out your journey and you look at where the charge point stations are and you know you have plan A, plan B or even plan C in, in mm. some instances um, that, that you, you can make it work and Yes, there are situations where, you know, there might be an acute issue and yes, that might be splashed all over the news the following day, but actually it's nowhere near as difficult as it used to be. But you still do have to adopt that planning approach and that behavioural mm -hmm. approach um, to make sure that you aren't creating potential inconvenience for yourself. And once you're in that habit, you then stop thinking about the fact that it might be slightly inconvenient if you're going somewhere that you're you're not used to going and you know you need to map out your journey and and look at all of your charge point options but again if you think about how technology supports our lives on a on a day-to-day -day basis 
um, the access that you've got to charge point information and user information about those charge points so that you know which charge points have been working. You know which ones tend to be busy because you've got access to, to people that have commented on their user experience over the past few days. So it is becoming easier and easier. But again, we need to keep the pressure up across the market to keep evolving, to keep improving, because that user experience must get better. It needs to get better. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, whilst those of us that have enjoyed EVs in the past um, perhaps might be, have been a bit more tolerant. Um, again, thinking about this new population that are going into EVs now, they might be perhaps less intolerant of that inconvenience factor. Um, so, yes, it's it's a bit of a mindset shift as well as a, a practical consideration of the right vehicle, the right cost, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and again, we, you know, we keep coming back to driver education um, and keep doing more and more and more to your entire employee population. Obviously, you're focusing on those that drive and those that are going to be entitled to some form of company vehicle. But this is something that we can really influence across the general public, not just those that drive for the organisations that we look after. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, obviously, one of the points you you made there, planning, um, that comes comes through in a very different way at a company level and, you know, firms or you know, fleets directly and the planning they're having to do to sort of map out their own sustainability journey and sort of manage their credentials. I mean, what kind of factors do you see most coming into play sort of there, you know, beyond the, the cost and the, the driver experience, that's sort of the more corporate level side of things, I suppose? Well, if you think about cost for a second so from a, a whole life cost perspective the argument is 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 more or less there for most of those evs but again it's not underestimating the diverse nature of your population so you do need to think about splitting out your populations according to their charging capability um, because it makes a massive difference on the whole life cost if you're going to add in fuel and energy um, of whether you can charge at home on a cheap rate or whether you can't. Um, and those are the sorts of things that you need to get to grips with. Now, traditionally, the approach would have been, well, you know, let's run pilots, let's use technology, let's use telematics, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's not always achievable or accessible for all fleets. You know, it's investment of time and it's investment of money. And that's not necessarily something that is within reach for, for some at the moment. So, again, it's not to have that mindset that you need to have a really, really detailed feasibility study. There are things that you can do quite quickly and simply that will help you on that transition plan. Now, I think when we talk about transition plans in the UK, most people have started their EV journey. Now, some of that might just be adding them onto the car list and letting drivers choose. Absolutely great if that works. Um, that's not necessarily going to work for all fleets and particularly if you've got a mixed population between passenger cars and vans or larger. And the approach between the two very obviously has to be very different. And you could perhaps say with cars, it is relatively easy once you've looked at that charging profile and driving profile. Um, for vans, you do need to have a sophisticated approach. You do need to be assessing the true need um, because, you know, those vans can't just 
park uh, anywhere and use any charge point. Um, that's a challenge that we have at the moment, particularly with the size of the some charging bays and when they're located, um, they physically just aren't suitable to vans. Um, workplace charging isn't rolled out across the piece. So again, it's important to separate um, those sorts of populations and really think about, okay, what do I know today about my population? What data do I actually already have? What can I understand from um, our commuting population? What can I understand from the mileage that we've got captured? So, you know, there are some say, fairly simple approaches that people can adopt um, in a situation where you're not able to use telematics to have a beautifully sophisticated strategy that tells you everything that you need to know about your drivers. So I think for fleets, it it is just pausing and thinking about what you already do have and where you've got that opportunity to, to have a simpler approach and then focusing your time and attention on those driving populations where you do need to be a lot more sophisticated in the way that you approach the challenge. Mm, absolutely I mean that absolutely comes through I mean thinking as a, a slight parallel when you look at say like the government's strategy in sort of helping that transition obviously it started very much as is the carrot with you know incentives car grants you know scrappage schemes whatever it might have been to influence that behavior positively previously we're seeing with things like the the ZEV mandate and other deadlines that are coming into play it's moving to that stick and you have to meet certain points by certain deadlines do you think that will just naturally have to filter through to those you know at a fleet level where like you say the first step that many would have made is very positive in making the EVs available alongside the existing list and it's sort of happening naturally do you think we'll get to a point or are we getting to a point where it might be more of a stick and it's sort of more pushed to drivers directly um, or are we still in a position where there's a lot more nuance and they can be or should be more flexible still? I think there is quite a lot of nuance. And again, I think the cost of living crisis and the general economic situation that we find ourselves in means that it's a little more difficult to to push people. Um, so that greater consideration, again, if, you know, that plays into the use cases as well. It's not just looking at employer costs but looking at employee impact of of BIC and reimbursement impact on private mileage and so on it, all those factors can be quite nuanced um, I think the requirement to continue to have um, items coming out of government that supports this transition so you know maintaining low BIK um, making sure that EVs aren't being disadvantaged through other taxation supporting allowances you know all the things that we are campaigning for um we, you know we've we've moved out of um grants and discounts off of cars i think now um so it's more how else do we support that transition how else do we make sure that local councils are getting the support that they need to improve um infrastructure in in towns and cities um and as we said before, there is so much good work going on, but we still have quite a long way to go. Um, and we do still need that leadership from government um, to make sure that the the wider um, financial infrastructure still makes it as easy as it reasonably can be made to speed up that transition across to EVs. 
And I'm thinking in, in particular, um, it's not just about company cars, but I'm thinking of, of vans and the the larger sorts of vehicles, um, making it as easy as possible um, to to get the older vans off the road, you know, get people in vans into, into newer product, lower carbon, particularly thinking about clean air as well. Um, you know, investment in all of the things that we still need to tackle um, with clean air. And you think of there's some fantastic work going on across universities of looking at how we can reduce um, particulates from brakes, from tyres, um, because clean air, um, as well as carbon, you know, both are equally important. The impact on our well-being and our personal health is absolutely critical um, and we need to keep pushing for that and we need the government to help us to do so. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's probably a good um, <laughs> as good a place as any to to wrap it up because there's you know obviously a lot more work going on there. You know, just from a shameless plug for the BVRLA, that's exactly what we're pushing for. You know, in the March budget coming up in just a few weeks, um, and then ahead of that, or in line with that, we've got our next fleet charging guide to come out, which addresses or will at least outline some of the issues that you've just touched upon, particularly with that local authority piece that, you know, how do fans come in versus cars and obviously we're at very different stages of those um, those transitions. Um, I guess that it all, as well as that government's point, it all comes back a lot of the <laughs> a key thread from what you've been saying is that education piece. Um, and I think we as, you know, professionals from across across the industry, across the sector, we're we're best placed to be having those conversations, aren't we? And you know, making that education piece continue to come through and seeing where people have got the challenges and how you know, letting them understand how there's a solution instead of just allowing that understanding to continue or that misinformation to to sort of take hold um, but no like I say let's leave it there thank you so much for your time Caroline that was fascinating to hear um, you know how you're seeing things what you're <laughs> what you're doing about it um, and I'm sure like you say it's it's a continuous piece and the progress will continue to come and we'll hit some key milestones this year and, and next, I'm sure, on this move. My pleasure, Adam. Thanks again for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you click the subscribe button. Please leave a rating or review and feel free to share this on your social platforms.